Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country. It offers a foundation of creativity and practice so that graduates can move the world forward. In particular, the Scripps College offers challenging coursework that holds students to high expectations, an integrated curriculum that combines a variety of disciplines and ideas, and student-driven media organizations where students can apply these skills and gain experience that enables them to hit the ground running upon graduation. That's the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories to tell. Today we're talking with trial judge Gail Williams Byers about a spike in hate crimes, bullying, and racial incidents during and after our hotly contested presidential election. Judge Gale says the racial, ethnic, and religious differences in this country are growing wider, and unless abated, they could lead to our own civil war over race. I want to begin by saying, Tom, thank you again for um, continuing to bring to the forefront some of the more pressing and um, obvious conversations that as a nation and community we should be having. I will say that in reading the survey, I was stunned by the numbers that were borne out in the survey itself, although I can appreciate where it's derived from and um, even somewhat of the sentiment that has given a platform to it. I'll tell you the... um, week or so following the election, um, not just as a judge, but as a mother of a teenager who will soon be stepping into this world as a young adult, I had a conversation with my son whose response shortly thereafter was, well, does this mean we now have to move to Canada? Because I don't know if me and my friends will be able to stay here. And when I queried more, I wanted to know where that sentiment was coming from. And my child goes to a very, very diverse school insofar as his classmates are representative of every religious background you could perhaps imagine, every race. um, And they come from all types of ethnic groups. And so being in that environment on a daily basis really does challenge a child's thinking of what the world is and what it ought to look like and whether or not that's being upended um, by what we're seeing right now. I sought to reassure him that it wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't be required to relocate, but that we will perhaps have to manage our expectations um, just for the interim because there are certainly those who don't share the same opinions and values that we do, 
but it does not mean that there is not space to have healthy conversations. We don't just run away from it because it seems like a very difficult task. And I'll tell you right now, having those conversations with a 17-year-old African-American male in America is a challenging task. It is something very challenging when he can look over to Canada and believe that he is more accepted there than he is in the country of his birth. The whole concept of um, bullying we've talked about uh, before, and but here it seems that the survey indicates that everything has been ratcheted up because of the hot rhetoric of the presidential uh, campaigns and the post-election turmoil, I think would be a, an unbiased word. Uh, talk about, from your perspective, both as a mother and a judge, the, this hot rhetoric. And it seems to have given license to people to uh, let their biases and their prejudices out in a destructive way. Here's what I'll tell you, Tom, is that, first of all, cyberbullying is not something terribly new to um, the judiciary um, and to those in the criminal justice arena. It is something that, you know, quite frankly, we've dealt with for, for several years now in a lot of different contexts. What we see and what we're experiencing now is a different manifestation of that same um, vein that we've been experiencing for quite some time. And, and I say that because the type of rhetoric and the type of exchanges that we see now um, in digital format and on social media platforms are the things that we knew that there were those who would whisper about perhaps, but never perhaps speak openly because prior to now there was perhaps no true national platform for it. And in the absence of a national platform or a national figure who gives the perception of space and or an audience to such thinking, those ideals were perhaps held close and not really expounded upon. But now if a individual gets the sense that they are empowered because the leader of their country or those who are in positions of leadership can not only um, harness these views but espouse them openly, then it leaves what are considered to be the rest of society, those who are most vulnerable to those comments, attacks, and bullying, it leaves them to be what they perceive to be pure targets. We've always known that words have power. That's no secret. And in the environment that we're in right now, the words not only have power, but in so many instances they've translated into action. And I think that's the very thing that we would hope to avoid, and not to the extent where we limit, thwart, or otherwise um, curtail the First Amendment rights of any individual but understanding that there is a clear detriment 
there is a clear harm and to some degrees irreparable that is engaged in when at the highest levels of our government there is the perception that this is acceptable. It it just gives, it adds more fuel to perhaps a fire that had never really been put out in the 40s, the 50s, or the 60s. I know that you're in touch with your community as as a judge and go to many community meetings in Northeast Ohio. Since the election, have you seen any evidence of concern from the community uh, about uh, this heightened uh, racism, for want of a better term? Well, you know, I'm glad that you asked that. Actually, it was just last week, Tuesday, um, on the 24th, where there was a local church in our area who sponsored a community-wide conversation, and it was on multi-ethnic conversations in the community. I'm really fortunate to live in a community that is rich with diversity. And so to have this forum where we came together to candidly discuss some of the ails of our society and the, the challenges that are that are somewhat are, are giving a rise today. Um, I'll tell you the the issue of cyberbullying and how it's impacting individuals, young people, families, entire communities was actually raised during this discussion, and what we can do to not only work against it but to help thwart it. What we can do to have more candid discussions. You know, Tom, what I'll say is I believe some of the the deeply rooted issues as it relates to race, ethnicity, um, and those divisions don't just run wide and deep, but perhaps one of the biggest issues is, it, is that it is born out of ignorance. And ignorance is not um, a term that is used to diminish or to malign one. It merely just means you don't know. And so what we don't know, frequently we despise. What we don't know, frequently we work against. And if there is no desire to learn, then we are no more than giving comfort to those feelings or those dissonant feelings that we have toward others who may be our neighbors, our children's friends, our, you know, the folks who shop in the neighborhood grocery store with us. And we've comforted those feelings out of our own ignorance. There's nothing wrong with getting to know someone who has a faith-based belief that's different from yours. You may find that there's more commonality than there is difference. Um, there's nothing wrong with getting to know someone whose skin color is different from yours. Again, you may learn that you have more in common than you do not. But because there's been such a long history of say, of wanting to some wanting to continue to segregate the populations based on any reason whatsoever now there's a platform for it and that I think that there's a potential danger in nurturing that platform because as opposed to us being a beacon of democracy and making sure that America remains the the light and the vanguard for what it means to be free and accepted, that we bear the risk of dialing the clock backward, and it'll take us that many more generations to, to, to get back to where we were. 
this, uh, I, I'm going to dub it license to harm, uh, that seems to be implicit now from the rhetoric and all the factors that you just mentioned. Do you see that translate to court? What I'll say is I have long seen individuals in court who at least express or display some sentiment as it relates to other groups. And it had perhaps not been as pronounced as it is now. But, Tom, I'll tell you, as a judge, I've had um, individuals who have told me as, as the party that they wanted a white male Christian judge. And my response is that, well, you know, I, I got two of those. I'm a judge and I'm a Christian. Now, I can't do anything about the white and the male part. But it doesn't mean that I can't be fair. And But those are, are things that individuals felt very free and willing to express, and that was long before November of 2016. What I think I'm most concerned about is how those feelings are now displayed given the, as you said, the license, the platform, the opportunity, the voice, and the avenues to express those more freely without any fear that there should be or would be societal pushback that says that's not acceptable. So remember, what was happening up until now was that, yes, there were those who held those deeply rooted feelings about different races, ethnicities, cultures, and et cetera. But they were rarely expressed openly, more like water cooler talk. Now, um, I believe that there is, again, clear avenues to express those because we have individuals at the highest levels of society who have said essentially that it's okay. And it's not just limited to race. It's gender. It's um, sexual orientation. It's ethnicity. It it is all of those things that make us beautifully unique that for some they feel they are clearly under attack. And that is the biggest concern because what I believe is that we may indeed see an uptick in hate crimes, that we may see an uptick in crimes that we had not perhaps um, had such influxes such as vandalisms, and, and very targeted offenses against individuals for no reasons other than those markers that distinguish them from what could be considered the majority race. And that's exactly what America is not. It's the antithesis of what America is. We talk about uh, incidents of cyberbullying or bullying or harassment, and we see those as sort of uh, extrajudicial in the sense that uh, we see them as societal harms but not necessarily crimes most of the time. Do you think our law and our legal system has caught up with the modern-day forms of harassment and bullying, or are we behind? Tom, what I'll say is as it relates to cyber crimes and cyber bullying, um, specifically as it relates to this area, is I think that there are those where, where we're trying to keep pace. The fact is that 
your society's changing so quickly, and they it's moving at such a rapid speed, and government and the judiciary doesn't always move at the same speed, and because of that, there is the the possibility, the likelihood, and in many cases, the just the mere fact that you may not have specific laws in place that directly speak to the behavior that is alleged to have been committed, and therefore we're working with dated laws for current situations and hoping that you know, to some degree we can create a match. Um, it is important that the judiciary in working with the legislature um, find ways to more readily respond to these new and changing and emerging issues because it is necessary and because it does work to protect all the parties, not just the accused, um, but it provides the proper tools to those who seek to bring individuals to justice for engaging in, in behavior that we find to be socially reprehensible, therefore criminal. And I'll also go a step further, Tom, and say that insofar as, yes, we may see a lot of this behavior coming from a particular group of individuals who more often than not are non-minorities, let us not be dissuaded by the fact that just in Chicago a few weeks ago, we saw this behavior engaged in by a group of young minority males as it related to, uh, as allegedly, young minority males as it related to a um, a individual who was considered or the victims considered to be um, have diminished capacity. And so it's working both ways, and I suppose my concern is that um, we, will con we will see this uptick to the point where we may end up in a, our own civil war, and it'll start all over race. Is it race or class or both? What I believe, just from my experience most recently, is that there certainly is some intersection between the two. But more than anything, my sense is that it is more so race and ethnicity than it is anything. And so far as there are those who are... You know, certainly looking to uproot themselves from perhaps a bad economic situation and perhaps have blamed those in minority groups for the reason for why they are in such a challenging economic situation. Um, you know, if, we, if you talk about, you know, the, the plight of non-minorities and, and many of them who feel like they've lost good-paying jobs to individuals who come from over certain borders and are willing to do certain work for much lower wages, which results in those non-minorities not having that work to do and therefore challenging their economic state, that I think that that becomes race because, again, in all of that, it points back to the, the ethnic group, not the opportunities, but the ethnic group who then becomes responsible for the plight of an entire um, race of people. And so insofar as, yes, there's intersection, I think that there is certainly a concentration more so to, to one element than another, although we can't dismiss any of them. I don't think you can dismiss class. I don't think you can dismiss 
um, any of those things. But I definitely think that if there's a primary indicator that unfortunately we are talking perhaps more so about race, if anything. We'll be back after this message. The Scripps College of Communication is designed to bring forth the people who bring forth knowledge by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means it succeeds. The Scripps College of Communication is where one generation of thought leaders and storytellers opens the doors for the next. Educating and inspiring each other, bridging disciplines, forging connections, pushing beyond the syllabus and beyond limits. And because all participants belong to a far-reaching community of achievers, they reach higher and further, not just ready for change, but hungry for it, demanding that ideas be heard, perspectives shared, and visions realized. This is how the Scripps College moves the world forward. This is what knowledge demands. And this is why the Scripps College of Communications exists. To make it loud. To make it clear. Make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Let me make this question clear. I'm not asking for your legal opinion, but I'm asking for your sense of the current events where we have singled out in our immigration laws uh, uh, certain people from certain countries, seven countries, and one could argue that's based on race, but most assuredly part of it, at least, is based on religion. Uh, and and the Muslim religion is being targeted uh, by our government. What dangers, if any, do you feel that this creates? I am of the mind that you know such an action does not make us safer um, personally, personally. I just believe that we are perhaps walking into, first of all, just unprecedented waters that I've never seen, not only in my lifetime, but just sort of, you know, throughout the, the history of this country, I've never seen the potential for such deep division and such continued protest, um, given the, the recentness with which our, our current president has taken office. I think everybody, no matter how you voted or what your sentiments were, that you know, by and large everyone was prepared to take a deep breath and to, to have a give it a chance moment. You've got to give it a chance and allow these processes to sort of take shape and to see how this administration will coalesce and how it will respond to certain groups and and concerns, no less. But in this most recent effort, um, I think the concern is that that there may be such a sweeping with such a broad brush that we are perhaps doing more harm than good, that 
are we've targeted essentially an entire faith for the acts of a few by and large. It's almost tantamount to you know targeting all police officers because of the actions of a few rogue police officers or a few elected officials who perhaps run off the rails, and then all elected officials are painted with that same broad brush and therefore treated accordingly. I think I see it, you know, as just being so extreme and that we've not provided nor afforded, you know, our brothers and sisters who have, again, a different faith-based belief than, than others, and they are absolutely entitled to do that, but that we've so singled them out that we've essentially told them that they are no longer American because of their belief. You know, it reminds me, Tom, I have not only family members that practice a Muslim faith, I have dear friends who have practiced this faith their whole lives. They don't know anything else. Um, Very close colleagues who not only practice their faith openly but are very, very sensitive about how this affects and impacts them. And my heart goes out to them because I worry that they will either be shunned or targeted, mistreated, misunderstood most certainly, uh, mistaken, or somehow labeled inappropriately and not of their own doing. But in a society like ours where we just have not really taken the time to truly um, walk through the proper steps. And I can understand the balance of wanting to ensure that that we keep the homeland safe. I just believe that there is a better way to do that than how we've just done it because we will, I believe, we'll lose allies across the world. We will lose our standing as a country that has open arms, and a welcome mat to all who seek its shelter, that we will be more, we will be less likely to be able to to gather other nations together to fight against common enemies or to bring, come together for common goals, and that we do this because we are not an island. We cannot do it ourselves. We may be a great nation, but this world is made of great nations. We just happen to be one of the leaders and that we are putting ourselves in a position of following and not leading by not being more thorough and more sensitive to all those who seek the sheltering arm of America from wherever they come from. I know as a judge and as a woman, as a mother, you are a problem solver. So my last question is, how do we stem this tide? How do we, I mean, you've been fairly pessimistic. You've been talking about uh, our own civil war over race, perhaps, uh, uh, and and certainly we've pointed out the, the atrocities that, that some of the atrocities that we're seeing. How do we counteract this? Uh, is it Back to the grassroots, do we counteract it in neighborhoods and communities and community meetings like you uh, talked about earlier? How do we we stem this tide, Judge? You know, I think that there will need to be a lot of conversations that happen. 
we can continue, yes, to have conversations even at the grassroots level. And, yeah, I would apologize for being pessimistic because I think uh, President Obama is, is perhaps one of the most optimistic public servants I've I've ever heard. Um, but I do remain concerned about how this message resonates at the level that it needs to resonate, being at the federal level for those who are in positions of power, how they interpret these actions and these changes. And if indeed the interpretation is something that strikes their core the wrong way, is do they have the courage to not just say something but to do something? We've seen um, almost from the day of inauguration to its current state, uh, what seems like protest after protest after protest, which seems to say that there is a clear unsettling um, on the American conscience and that individuals are prepared to not only verbalize but to mobilize in opposition to things that they find to be offensive and wrong and an affront to the values that we hold as countrymen. The question becomes, however, is in light of all of that, Tom, do we have national leaders on either sides of the aisle? Do we have national leaders that are prepared to stand with those who are protesting to actually do something? Because the truth is, at the point that we're at, I don't know that I see much else happening prior to perhaps a midterm election, a midterm election. But nothing really changes without the heart of those who have been put in positions to represent the very people who are vocalizing their dissent, who are verbalizing their concern. They too have representatives. And the question becomes to what degree do their representatives at the federal level actually listen to them and respond to their concerns. If there is no appetite to respond to the concerns, no matter how many protests or how many, um, how many chants or how many sit-ins, then, you know, we have this wonderful thing called a constitution, and our framers were brilliant so many years ago when they put into place three separate yet co-equal branches of government. And so, yes, the judiciary has a role to play. I think that it is doing exactly what it should do, which is to not formally insert itself into a process it has not been invited to. But when it is required to act and respond, it does so, and then quietly retreats to where it belongs. But in the meantime, that there are things that should be done at the legislative level and certainly more listening and responsiveness from the executive level. But in the meantime, we have to be prepared as neighbors, friends, community members, and leaders to have more open conversations. If you have somehow pampered a sentiment against a particular race, I would encourage you to go and visit a school, visit a church, visit a mosque, talk to someone, get to know them so that your sentiments can be well-placed because willful ignorance 
gives room for hate. And it is the thing that will work to poison us all and will no doubt inspire, I believe, the civil war we will no doubt be headed for and that we've long since held off because we have been a nation of laws, not men, but also of openness and um, willing to accept others and that now, if there's no appetite to do that, then we will certainly find ourselves some several generations, decades, backward. And that's to no one's benefit. Judge, as always, thank you for your perspective. We appreciate it. Thanks for talking with me today. Tom, thank you. Again, I think that these are very important conversations to have. Um, and it's more important now that you speak with your senators and your representatives about what your positions are, no matter what your political party is. Ultimately, these decisions are made at some of the highest levels. And when they don't hear from you, then they can perhaps expect your silence to be acquiescent. And if that is not the intent, then the people's voice definitely needs to be heard. And I thank you for this forum to make one more voice heard. Today we've talked with trial judge Gail Williams Byers about the racial divide in this country and the growing number of hate crimes and bullying attacks. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at iTunes Podcasts Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through iTunes. If you have questions or comments about our podcast, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.